Today, Voices from Oxford is interviewing Francis Cancross, who is head of one of the oldest colleges of the university, Exeter College, where the head is called the Rector. Oxford colleges have very distinguished heads, often very, very busy heads, and Frances Cancross is no exception. She has been president of the British Association for the Advancement of Science, she's been a managing editor at The Economist, uh, she's been chairman of a research council, and she's been uh, writing, if she has the time to do that, and I'm sure she has, um, she's been writing important books. And what we're going to do today is to explore with her some of her own work, what she does here at Exeter, and how she sees the role of the college in the university. I wonder whether we could start by discussing um, one of your, your books, which I think you called The Company of the Future, and you compared the internet to a flowing river. I wonder whether you could explain to us what you meant by that. The purpose of the book was to continue where a previous book had left off. I first started to write about the internet on The Economist magazine in the mid-1990s. And I wrote a, a long article for The Economist called The Death of Distance. Yes. And I called it that because at that stage, the extraordinary thing that appeared to be happening was not the emergence of the internet, which of course was in its very, very early years as far as the public was concerned, but the extraordinary decline in the cost of long-distance uh, electronic communications. Yes. And I remember in, I think, 1997, going to see somebody at the World Bank who said, something unprecedented is happening. We have never seen prices of some key commodity drop as precipitously as the, the, the costs of delivering a telephone call, an international telephone call, are yes. doing. If we look at the credit crunch that we're all surviving now, that would not have been imaginable right. in the years before uh, the internet on the same extraordinary global interconnected way yes. that it has occurred. So the changes are very profound and often hard to spot when yes. you're just standing on the bank of the river and watching or not aware of what's causing these, these changes. You, you, you mentioned the credit crunch. Um, do you think then that the speed of communication has been part of what has made that so rapid? Is that one of your points? I think that the speed and the universality right. of communications has added to it. Uh, the tremendous spread of um, computerized dealing so that the individual doesn't wait to see where the share price is going. You yeah, set a certain exactly. floor and when the share price dips below it, everybody dumps the shares. Yes. That accentuates drops. Yes. Um, I think that the extraordinarily complex financial instruments that securitized all these bad loans uh, were uh, devised by people who had uh, computer technologies. But if I can just take something very different. Um, the other day, uh, my husband and I were on holiday and um, he lost his mobile phone. And we were going through a market in an Arab country. And he said to me, don't lose sight of me because I don't have a mobile phone. And I suddenly realized 
how, how our experience of going, yes. uh, something as simple as yes. going around a market in a foreign country yes. had been transformed by a technology that didn't exist at the start of the 1990s. Mm. When my adult children are arranging their social lives, Yes. They don't make yes. complicated plans to meet here at this time or, or to go to that movie. They head off with their mobile phones and they talk to each other and text each other, SMS each other all evening. Exactly. And they're, they're like, now like shoals of fish. They swim in this direction yes. and then they swim in that direction and then they all go off there. Yes. That is different because of a technology. That's a technology changing people's habits. I wonder now whether we could relate some of this discussion about the internet and its impact on society uh, and the way in which people conduct business to the work of the university and uh, of the college. Uh, because presumably there ought to be things that the university and the college are doing that relate to how the internet can be exploited in higher education. Well, as you know, the internet was really uh, developed in universities. Um, academics, particularly those who are not scientists, tend to work in a rather isolated way and they work in scattered universities. And if you are the, the um, best authority outside Russia on Russian literature, but you work in a small university in the middle of Kansas um, and you have some wonderful discovery, you want immediately to share it with everyone. Um, and the internet is the perfect vehicle for that. But if you're trying to teach somebody um, to uh, think about um, uh, philosophy or to think about um, history or to think about uh, um, uh, biochemistry, it does help to have a human being there doing the explaining. From what you're saying, you are a strong supporter, therefore, of the tutorial method, which is so famous at Oxford. I think that the tutorial method um, is a wonderful way of teaching some subjects to right. young people. Right. Be because it is a class of one or two students and one tutor for an hour, so it's very intensive. Um, it is, of course, very expensive, expensive yes. and one of Oxford's perennial problems yes. is finding the money to pay for it uh, because we are not nearly as rich as Harvard or Princeton yes. or Yale. Yes. Um, right. But if you do it, it just is, is fantastic for the young. It's very intensive, it's very exhilarating, um, it's, very, uh, it's a very fast way of communicating and teaching them. Right. And what Oxford does better than just about anywhere else is to teach very clever young people to argue and to analyse. The Oxford course wants you, wants you to argue the case and it may want you to argue something quite different from what the tutor believes. Fine, if you can stand up your argument in, in, in speech and in writing then you really have mastered the Oxford pedagogical system. You, you, you said earlier on that this is an expensive way of mm. educating students. Um, so the question of how we manage the university and here in Exeter, the college, must be one of your major concerns as the head of the college. How do you find 
coming into a position like this from the world of business, from the world of the media, where after all managing editor of The Economist, how do you find that influences the way in which you, you manage the college, if I might put it that way? Well, I spend, like heads of most colleges, a lot of time raising money. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think a, a, a lot of academics who reach positions of responsibility are surprised at how much of their life is taken up with fundraising. Exactly. <laughs> and many of them dislike it. I don't feel that way. Uh, a lot of the people from whom we raise money are people who are students here and who yeah. have done very well. The research that I've seen suggests that if you take your degree at Oxford, on average, your lifetime earnings will be twice as high as if you take your degree at the average British yeah. university. So there's a huge premium. Not there's a message for the students. There's a message. The there is a yeah. message. Absolutely, there's a message. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, I think there is a social contract. I say to the students, this beautiful college was not built with government money. The scholarships you receive were not funded with government money. They were funded by 700 years of donors who cared passionately about the education of the young. And that's where these benefits come from. You said that Exeter College is uh, 700 years old. It must have had many distinguished alumni during that time, so it would be impossible to do a list of all the alumni. But I wonder whether you could mention one or two uh, of the famous alumni of Exeter that the world might like to know about. Well, one of them is Alan Bennett, um, oh. uh, the playwright, who yes. recently very generously donated his papers to the Bodleian Library, the main Oxford library, right. and so we were very proud of him that he did that instead of selling them to the highest bidder, probably yes. in the United States. He actually gave them? He gave his papers Excellent. to the Bodleian. Yes. It was a big act of philanthropy. We were yes. really proud of that. Uh, another is uh, Sir Roger Bannister, the first man to run a mile in right. under four minutes came to dinner at the college last night, as it yes. happens, still very energetic. Um, we are also the college of Philip Pullman, who uh, wrote uh, the uh, trilogy, which is called His Dark Materials, and appeared as a film called The Golden Compass. And if you watch that film, you will have seen uh, a bit of the Exeter College Gardens appears uh, in it. Oh, well, finally, we're at the College of J.R.R. Tolkien. He was here yes. as an undergraduate, and his youngest daughter uh, still uh, comes in occasionally to see us and unveiled his bust in the oh. chapel not long ago. I wonder whether we could uh, finish the discussion with something else that I personally have appreciated here in Exeter College, although I'm not from Exeter College, I've been invited once to one of your marvellous jazz evenings and you had a New Orleans jazz band. New Orleans jazz is wonderful music and the, uh, I, I became very worried that my generation, you see, grew up on New Orleans jazz, brought to Britain in mm. the 1950s. Um, yes. But young people now know very little about it. They don't think of jazz in those terms. And so I uh, discovered a band that was eager to teach as well as to play. Right. And this group comes to the college once a year. It does a workshop for 
We have very accomplished young musicians here, but most right. of them have never ever played New Orleans jazz. So it teaches them the, the basic elements of jazz. And then in the evening, they put on a concert and they get the students to play with them. And it's, it's a wonderful event. But it must make you very popular with your students. Well, I think that the, the great thing about colleges is the extent to which they do revolve around the students, yes. both the undergraduates and the graduates. Yes. And uh, we do a lot of things for them. We, we celebrate uh, the birthday of Robert Burns, the great Scottish yes. poet. We right. celebrate Thanksgiving Day because for young Americans, yes. of whom there are quite a lot here, yes. Thanksgiving can be the loneliest day in the year when you're abroad. You know, Christmas, everybody else is celebrating, but on Thanksgiving Day, it's a normal working day. So we have a dinner, uh, which is very popular in college, not just with the Americans, right. to give them some, some turkey and sweet potatoes. Um, and we do a number of things like that, and I invite a lot of speakers not, into the college I because I, I mean, think we, it's we very also, important for the young to, know, we, we to, to study what's happening in the country one, as well as what's happening in the intellectual world. Francis Cairn Cross, Rector of Exeter College, thank you very much for talking to Voices from Oxford. Thank you. <laughs>